It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's a new episode with the Murder Bucket Podcast. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. We have a very fascinating case that we are going to be discussing on tonight's episode, as well as finishing it off in two weeks. We are talking about Randy Kraft, also known as the Scorecard Killer. Be sure to stick around to the end as tonight is the first episode of the month and we have True Crime News Corner. We're going to do our week slash weekend recap super quick because nothing super interesting has happened recently. Only thing that I can think of is on Saturday, one of our really good friends came over to the house and helped us change out the outside lights by our side door and our front door. The light to the front door, I believe, was super old and might have actually been the original to the house. Um, But the light bulb that was in there, I just could never find a replacement for it. And I just kind of got tired of looking. So on Black Friday, I just ordered three new outside lights. And I have to say, they look pretty amazing. That's been really the only interesting thing that has happened since the last time that we did our week slash weekend recap. So let's go ahead and get started. Randy Kraft, The Scorecard Killer, Part 1 Randy was born on March 19, 1945 in Long Beach, California. His father, Harold, was a production worker and his mother, Opal, was a sewing machine operator. Randy often noted that his mother always found time to be with her children, even while working several jobs. His father distanced himself from the family and rarely attended social gatherings. His three older sisters were very fond of him and even doted on him. At the age of three, the family moved from Long Beach to Midway City into a small wood-framed Women's Army Corps dormitory. His father renovated the house into a three-bedroom. The family then began attending Westminster First Presbyterian Church where Randy's mother became the chairman of the Deacons Committee. While attending Midway City Elementary School, his mother became a member of the PTA. Over the years, Randy began to excel and was quickly discovered to be highly intelligent. With this newfound intelligence, he started attending accelerated classes at the junior high school. Randy soon showed an interest in politics and became a staunch Republican. He often dreamed of becoming a U.S. Senator. After enrolling at Westminster High School, he founded the Westminster World Affairs Club. Randy later recalled in an interview that he struggled with thoughts of being a homosexual and kept his sexual orientation a secret. On June 13, 1963, Randy graduated 10th in his class of 390 students. By the fall, He was enrolled at Claremont Men's College in Claremont, California. He began to pursue a degree in economics. After enrolling in college, Randy joined the Reserve Officers Training Corps. He attended several demonstrations in support of the Vietnam War. He claimed that this support was merely because of his parents' way of thinking and not his own. Randy began working as a bartender at a Garden Grove cocktail lounge in 1964. Some articles state that this lounge was well-known to cater to the LGBTQ clientele. In 1966, 
Randy was arrested for the first time. He was charged with lewd conduct after attempting to proposition an undercover police officer. According to law.cornell.edu, lewd conduct is defined as conduct that is indecent or obscene. The term is commonly used in statutes to refer to pornography, prostitution, indecent exposure, and other sexual conduct. Because he had no previous criminal record, no charges were filed. In 1967, Randy's political views shifted dramatically and he changed his registration to Democrat. He became a supporter of liberal views and became a Democratic Party organizer. He worked for the election of Robert F. Kennedy, and after the election, he received a letter from him thanking him for his campaign efforts. During Randy's senior year, he began to lose interest in his studies and classwork. He would often drink, take drugs, and attend all-night gambling and poker sessions that were held by other students. Because of his lack of interest, he was forced to repeat his econometrics class and graduated eight months later than expected. In February 1968, Randy graduated from Claremont Men's College with a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics. He joined the United States Air Force four months after graduation. He went to basic training in Texas and was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base in Edwards, California. While in the service, he was tasked to supervise the painting of test planes. At some point during his military career, Randy told his family that he was a homosexual. In a letter to a friend, he states that his father got very angry, but his mother was calm, but disapproved of his lifestyle. Eventually, his family accepted who he was and he continued to remain close to them. On July 26, 1969, Randy disclosed his sexual orientation to his superiors and was discharged from the Air Force. On his DD-214, his discharge was listed as being on medical grounds. He challenged this and sought legal advice. The Air Force, however, refused to change the status. After he was discharged, he moved into his parents' home and began working as a bartender. A year after being discharged from the Air Force, in March of 1970, while Randy was visiting Huntington Beach, he met 13-year-old Joseph Fancher. Randy was told that Joseph was a runaway, so he invited him to his apartment. Randy promised Joseph that he could live with him if he was interested. He also told Joseph that he would bring women over to have sex with and offer the same to Joseph. Instead of these promises, Randy drugged, beat, and sexually assaulted Joseph. Several hours later, Joseph was able to escape the apartment once Randy left for work. Once outside, a bystander noticed how disoriented he was and called an ambulance. When he arrived at the hospital, he told police that he was given drugs and beaten. But he never once told police, doctors, or his parents that he was sexually assaulted because he was afraid no one would believe him. Randy's apartment was searched, but because Joseph told police that he willingly took the drugs, no charges were ever filed against him. Randy then enrolled at Long Beach State University, majoring in education because he wanted to further his career prospects. While there, he met Jeff Graves, who was a fellow teaching student, and he began a relationship with him. Now that we know who Randy is, let's talk about the crimes that he is most known for. Long Beach resident Wayne Duckett's nude body was discovered near Ortega Highway on October 5, 1971. 
He was a bartender at the stable bar near Sunset Beach. He had been reported missing on September 20th. Research shows that Randy had what he referred to as a scorecard, which is the reason he was nicknamed the scorecard killer. On his scorecard, the very first entry reads, Stable. This makes investigators believe that Randy did in fact kill Wayne. Even though this is believed to be his first murder victim, Randy has never been charged in his death. The body of Edward Moore was discovered on December 26, 1972, beside the 405 freeway in Seal Beach. He was last seen leaving his barracks at Camp Pendleton. Investigators believe that he had been pushed from a moving vehicle due to the abrasions on his body. The autopsy concluded that his wrists and ankles were bound, he had been beaten with a blunt object, and there were several bite marks on his body, and then garroted. According to Wikipedia.com, garrot is a weapon, usually a handheld ligature of chain, rope, scarf, wire, or fishing line used to strangle a person. There was also a sock found in his rectum. On February 6, the body of an unidentified male believed to be between the ages of 17 and 25 was discovered near the Terminal Island Freeway in Wilmington, California. The victim had been strangled and a sock was found in their rectum. On April 14th, the body of 17-year-old Kevin Bailey was found beside a road in Huntington Beach. Investigators revealed that he had been emasculated and sodomized prior to his death. An unidentified body of a youth was found near Wilmington on April 22nd. Their body had been dismembered. 20-year-old Ronnie Weeby's body was found beside the ramp of the 405 freeway on July 30th, just two days after he was reported missing. Investigators reported that welt marks were found on his wrist and ankles, which suggests that he was bound. 23-year-old Vincent Mestis's body was found in the San Bernardino Mountains on December 29th. A sock was found in his rectum and his hands had been severed from his body and never found. He is also believed to be a victim of Randy's, but he was never charged for his murder. 20-year-old Malcolm Little, 19-year-old James Reeves, and 18-year-old Roger Dickerson were found near major roadways at the end of 1974. Malcolm and James had foreign objects inserted into their body much like the previous victims. Roger had bite marks all over his body just like other victims. While there were five victims found in 1974, these three were the only ones linked to the same killer. On January 3, 1975, 17-year-old John Laris was last seen boarding a bus in Long Beach. Police discovered his body the next day. He had been strangled and a foreign object had been inserted into his body. Two weeks later, on January 17th, the body of 21-year-old Craig Jonades was found in the parking lot of a hotel near the Pacific Coast Highway. He had been strangled. At the end of January, there had been 14 bodies found who were all linked to the same killer. Each victim was Caucasian with similar characteristics. Several investigators from jurisdictions in Southern California came together to discuss progress in locating the unknown killer. During the meeting, the FBI read a profile of the killer that described them as methodical, organized, lust killer with above-average intelligence. 
many believed that the killings had to be the work of a group of people with military backgrounds and not just one person. The reason for the military background theory was because several of the victims had paper residue found in their nostrils. This was a procedure used by the military to prevent a body from purging after death. According to Google.com, purging after death means the decomposition of the gastrointestinal tract results in a dark, foul-smelling liquid called purge fluid that is forced out of the nose and mouth due to gas pressure in the intestines. At this time, investigators didn't have a lead on any suspects. On March 29, 1975, Keith Crotwell and Kent May were lured from a Long Beach parking lot into a Ford Mustang. They were given beer and Valium. On May 8th, Keith's skull was found near the Long Beach Marina and the remainder of his body wasn't found until six months later. After the news broke about Keith, two friends searched their neighborhood for the distinctive Mustang. Less than one mile from their home, one was found. They took down the license plate number and gave the information to the police. They also told the police that they witnessed the Mustang push Kent out of the vehicle back in March and believed that the murderer was a frequent patron of a Belmont Shore LGBTQ bar. After the police received the license plate number, they discovered that the vehicle was registered to Randy Kraft. Long Beach police questioned Randy regarding Keith's abduction and murder. At first, he denied ever knowing him, but once he was brought into the police station, he admitted to meeting up with both Keith and Kent in the Long Beach parking lot, talking them into drinking alcohol, consuming Valium, and leaving with him. He states that soon after leaving, he brought Kent back to the parking lot and dropped him off. He states that while driving away with Keith, his vehicle got stuck in an embankment and advised Keith to stay in the vehicle while he walked back to a gas station to call a tow truck. Once he returned, he stated that Keith was gone. Police did not believe the story that Randy told them. A few weeks later, two detectives tried to file homicide charges against Randy, but the Los Angeles Attorney General's office declined because the coroner concluded that Keith died of an accidental drowning. Several articles suspect that Randy was spooked after he spoke with police because he did not kill until December 31st. He abducted 22-year-old Mark Hall in San Juan Capistrino and drove him to a remote canyon where he bound him to a tree. After Mark's body was found, it was discovered during the autopsy that he died of asphyxiation caused by leaves and dirt that were shoved down his throat. He was also sodomized and emasculated. His severed genitals were inserted into his rectum. He also had been burned on the chest, scrotum, nose, and cheeks with a vehicle cigarette lighter. This was also used to burn his eyes. A forensic expert also noted that he was alive during most of the torture. In 1976, Randy ended his relationship with Jeff for unknown reasons. Shortly after this breakup, he began a relationship with 19-year-old Jeff Selig. They quickly moved in together in Laguna Hills. They frequently picked up hitchhikers and, if they were willing, brought them back to their apartment for a threesome. Jeff later told police that Randy was never violent toward him and never displayed violent tendencies. Randy remained quiet for almost a year before killing again, 
and police believe that his relationship with Jeff was a contributing factor. 19-year-old Paul Fucci's name is listed on Randy's scorecard with the date December 10, 1976, but his body has never been found. Police investigators from several jurisdictions met up again on January 3, 1978 to discuss the manhunt for the still-unknown killer. They believed that more than one killer was at large because when Patrick Kearney was arrested and confessed to the murders of 28 boys and young men, the way that he killed his victims was different than the way that the unknown killer was killing his victims. Randy stayed quiet for almost 16 months before killing again. On April 16, 1978, 18-year-old Scott Hughes was abducted and drugged with Valium. His scrotum was cut open and one testicle was removed. He was then strangled to death with a ligature and his body was left near a freeway on-ramp in Anaheim, California. Two months later, on June 11th, 23-year-old Ronald Young's body was found near a San Diego freeway. He had been emasculated before he was stabbed to death. Investigators noticed several abrasions on his body that showed that he had been pushed from a moving vehicle at high speeds. Eight days after this, on June 19th, the body of 20-year-old Richard Keith was found discarded beside a road on Moulton Parkway. He was last seen by his girlfriend in Carson, California. He had welts on his wrists indicating that he was bound and then strangled with a ligature. Investigators noticed froth in his throat that indicated he was choking as a result of florazepam and alcohol he consumed while being strangled. Investigators believe that he is listed as Marine Carson on Randy's scorecard. 23-year-old Keith Klingbeal was discovered on July 6 near Interstate 5 Freeway. Investigators reported that he had ingested a large amount of acetaminophen and alcohol before he was strangled. He was found alive but died shortly after arriving at a hospital. 20-year-old Richard Crosby's body was found near Highway 71 on September 29th. He was reported missing several days before when he left a theater in Torrance, California. He had been suffocated and his left nipple had been mutilated with a vehicle cigarette lighter. 21-year-old Michael Enderbeaton's body was found on a ramp on I-605 on November 18th. He had been castrated and violated with a foreign object as well as suffering from burns. His cause of death was listed as suffocation. Randy stayed quiet again for several months until 20-year-old Donnie Criswell was abducted and his body was thrown from a moving vehicle on the 405 freeway on June 16, 1979. An autopsy report stated his cause of death was acute alcohol poisoning. It also showed that he had rope and bird marks on his body, indicating he had been bound and tortured. Two months later, on August 29th, the dismembered body of 21-year-old English tourist Keith Jackson was found inside two trash bags and a box behind a gas station in Long Beach. A sock was found in his rectum. Only his head, torso, and left leg were found. Investigators have never found the remaining body parts. It is believed that he is listed in Randy's scorecard as England or 76. Just two weeks later, the body of 19-year-old Gregory Jolly was found on September 14th in Lake Arrowhead. 
he had been emasculated and his head and legs were severed. On November 24th, 15-year-old Jeffrey Sayre was abducted from a bus stop in Westminster while returning home from a date. He was murdered. It's believed the entry Westminster date in Randy's scorecard refers to Jeffrey. On February 18, 1980, the decapitated body of 19-year-old Mark Marsh was found near Teplin Highway. He was last seen hitchhiking. While his head was severed, so were his hands. In the summer of 1980, Randy went on an extended business trip in Oregon. Police believe that while he was there, he killed two more people. 17-year-old Michael O'Fallon was killed on July 17th while solo hitchhiking across the U.S. and Canada before enrolling in college. An autopsy report states that he consumed a large amount of alcohol and Valium before he was strangled. Police found his naked body hogtied near Salem, Oregon. In Randy's scorecard, police believe that he is listed as Portland, Denver. A camera with his mother's initials were found in Randy's garage during later searches. The very next day, the body of a 35- to 45-year-old man was found beside a freeway in Woodburn, Oregon. In the scorecard, police believe that he is listed as Portland Elk. He was strangled to death and had a high toxic level of Valium and Tylenol. Randy then returned to California in August, and one month later, the body of 19-year-old Robert Logans was found in a trash bag close to the El Toro Marine Air Base. Photographs of him were later found in Randy's home, showing him slumped over on his couch fully clothed. It's unknown if Robert was alive or dead in these photos. Randy remained quiet for several months until April of 1981 when the body of 17-year-old Michael Cluck was found near Interstate 5 Freeway. He had been abducted while hitchhiking. An autopsy report showed that he had 31 blunt force blows to his head which ultimately killed him. He was also sodomized and beaten. He is believed to be listed in the scorecard as Portland Blood due to the excessive amount of blood found at the crime scene. It's reported that the day Michael was discovered, Randy visited a hospital in Lane County to receive treatment of a bruised foot. On August 20, 1981, the body of 17-year-old Christopher Williams was found in the San Bernardino Mountains. Paper was found inside his nose, which caused him to choke to death on his own mucus. He also had a large amount of phenobarbital and benzodiazepam in his system. We're going to end there since we have True Crime News Corner and pick back up the remaining murders, Randy's arrest, and more details about his scorecard, the trial, and conviction. And now we have... Judge Shurier sentenced Nicholas Cruz to life in prison without the possibility of parole on November 2nd after the jury failed to reach a unanimous decision on the death penalty. Nicholas received a life sentence for all 34 counts of murder and attempted murder. In an article on CNN.com, Judge Shurier is quoted saying, I am ordering that each and every count run consecutive. That is one after another. 
Tulsa, Oklahoma city officials announced on November 2nd that 17 adult-sized graves were uncovered at an excavation site in the Oak Lawn Cemetery, and another four were found the following day, which included two child-sized burials. These could be linked to victims of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. Some historians estimate as many as 300 black people were killed in the attack and the days of martial law that followed. The Justice Department has arrested 21 people suspected of belonging to a theft ring that made millions of dollars from stolen catalytic converters, the car parts that have increasingly become targets across the country. A large team of law enforcement agencies at the local, state, and federal levels seized hundreds of millions of dollars in assets such as homes, bank accounts, cash, cars, and jewelry from the defendants. Four University of Idaho students were found dead inside a home near the campus on November 13th. Their bodies were discovered just before noon as police were responding to a report of an unconscious person at the home. The victims were identified as 20-year-old Ethan Chapman, 21-year-old Madison Mogan, 20-year-old Zanna Kernodal, and 21-year-old Kaylee Goncalves. Their deaths are labeled as homicides. Darrell Brooks was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of extended supervision for driving his SUV into a crowd of Christmas parade attendees in Waukesha, Wisconsin last year that killed six people and wounded dozens. Judge Doro imposed sentences totaling hundreds of years for the remaining 70 counts on which he was found guilty. She is quoted in an article on CNN.com saying, You have absolutely no remorse for anything that you do. You have no empathy for anyone. Frankly, Mr. Brooks, no one is safe from you. 25 Los Angeles County sheriffs and police recruits were on a training run when they were hit by a driver going the wrong way. Five of those recruits were critically injured. Some of the most severe injuries included head trauma, broken bones, and loss of limbs. The California Highway Patrol is leading the crash investigation. Assistant Chief Charlie Sampson of the California Highway Patrol said officials were looking at all possibilities, ranging from an intentional act to an impaired driver. Maryland's Attorney General filed a motion to release an investigative report of child sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Attorney General Brian Frosch released a statement saying his office is seeking approval from the Baltimore City Circuit Court to release the 463-page report to the public. Attorney General Frosch told 11 News it shows many, many instances of child sexual abuse from priests and other employees of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, hundreds of victims, and it involves more than 100 priests and other employees who were people who were accused of abuse by the victims. We want to make sure abusers know they can't do it and get away with it. Gabby Petito's family won a wrongful death lawsuit against the estate of Brian Laundrie after a judge in Sarasota County, Florida, ruled in their favor. The judge awarded $3 million to Gabby Petito's mother. The family's attorney said the Petito family lost their daughter and they were also denied the opportunity to confront her killer. 
no amount of money is sufficient to compensate the Petito family for the loss of their daughter Gabby at the hands of Brian Laundrie. Brian did not have $3 million. It's an arbitrary number. Whatever money they do receive will help Gabby's family in their endeavors with the Gabby Petito Foundation. The former chief executive of the blood testing startup Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, was sentenced on November 18th to more than 11 years in federal prison for her role in defrauding investors of hundreds of millions of dollars. She was ordered to begin her prison sentence on April 27, 2023, in a case that was described as troubled on so many levels. After her release, she is supposed to spend three years under supervision. She is currently pregnant with her second child. A gunman entered an LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs, Colorado, just before midnight on November 19th and immediately opened fire. Five people were killed and 25 others were injured. At least two people inside the club confronted and fought the gunman and prevented further violence. Governor Jared Polis ordered flags to be lowered to half-staff at all public buildings statewide to honor the victims of the mass shooting between Monday through Saturday. A truck that was pulling afloat during the Christmas parade in North Carolina malfunctioned and hit a young dancer and killed them. The driver was yelling out of the window that he had lost control. A group of bystanders ran to the truck and helped stop it. The driver is facing charges of misdemeanor death by motor vehicle, careless and reckless driving, improper equipment, unsafe movement, and carrying a firearm in a parade. Alex Murdaugh's legal team submitted a former alibi to a South Carolina court claiming that he was not home when his wife and son were killed last year. His attorney claims that his wife and son were still alive when he left the property shortly after 9 p.m. to drive to his mother's house. Alex is due to go on trial in January on two counts of murder and two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. 25-year-old Shanquilla Robinson from Charlotte, North Carolina, died during a trip to Mexico with her friends last month. A video showing her being beaten surfaced and now her family is calling for justice and truth about the circumstances of her death. Her mother states that she was told by her daughter's friends that she had died of alcohol poisoning. According to her death certificate, her cause of death was caused by a severe spinal cord injury. Jason Frank, who played the Green Ranger and later the White Ranger on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, died at the age of 49. No cause of death was provided. 29-year-old Richard Reeves Jr. was sentenced to five years in prison after being found guilty of a charge of stalking on June 3rd. Colleen police began investigating Reeves on August 18, 2020, when a woman reported that he had damaged property in their shared home in Colleen, Texas, and punched her in the stomach during an argument, according to the arrest affidavit. On August 3, 2020, there was another argument in which Reeves threatened to pour boiling water on the woman and poked her in the eye. Reality TV stars Julie and Todd Chrisley were sentenced to prison in federal court. They were found guilty in June of conspiracy to defraud banks out of more than $30 million in fraudulent loans. In addition, 
They were found guilty of several tax crimes, including attempting to defraud the IRS. Todd was sentenced to 12 years in prison with three years of supervised release, and Julie was sentenced to seven years in prison with three years of supervised release. Six people, including the gunman, were killed in a Virginia Walmart after the store's manager began firing at his employees. A statement released by the police said, The city of Chesapeake has always been known as a city that cares, and now more than ever, we know our city will show up and care for those who need it most. Please join us in praying for the family and friends of those community members who lost their lives. Two blasts went off near bus stops in Jerusalem at the height of morning rush hour, killing a Canadian-Israeli teenager and injuring at least 18 people in what police said were suspected attacks by Palestinians. The first explosion occurred near a typically crowded bus stop on the edge of the city. The second went off about half an hour later in Remote, a settlement in the city's north. A WBTV Sky 3 helicopter crashed on I-77, killing meteorologist Jason Myers and pilot Chip Taig. Pilot Chip is being called a hero, with Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Chief Johnny Jennings saying he believes Taig took extraordinary measures in his final moments before the helicopter crashed. An Envoy Air flight returned to Chicago shortly after takeoff after a pilot was incapacitated and later died. A statement from the regional carrier owned by American Airlines said, Despite heroic efforts by those on board and first responders on the ground, our colleague has passed away. We're deeply saddened and are doing all we can to support his family and our colleagues at this time. 19-year-old Peyton Ginroden pleaded guilty to one count of domestic act of terrorism motivated by hate, 10 counts of first-degree murder, 3 counts of attempted murder, and a weapons possession charge in the mass shooting at Topps Friendly Market on May 14th. The charges come with a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Melissa Highsmith, was abducted by a babysitter from her Fort Worth home in 1971 when she was just two years old. After 50 years, she was finally reunited with her long-lost family thanks to DNA testing. No information was given about the kidnapper, but Melissa states that she knew she had been kidnapped as a child. And lastly, Randy Cox was sitting handcuffed but without a seatbelt in the back of a police van on June 19th when it came to an abrupt stop. He was thrown across the vehicle, slamming headfirst into a wall and then the floor. Randy suffered a cervical spine injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. The incident prompted a lawsuit, a Connecticut State Police investigation, and a reckoning in the city of New Haven and its police department. Now, several police officers will face criminal charges as well. Five New Haven officers were arrested and charged with reckless endangerment and cruelty to persons, both misdemeanors, over their involvement in the incident. And that concludes tonight's episode, part one of Randy Kraft, the scorecard killer. Please tune in in two weeks to listen to part two. Before you go, please take a moment and listen to this promo from my friends at the podcast, The $2 Creature Feature. 
grab some popcorn and find your seats. Monster of the Week actual play podcast $2 creature feature returns for season two on February 22nd. This season, we'll see a whole new crew of hunters confronting the mysteries at the heart of the town of Jupiter Hollow. I'm Megan Murphy. I'm playing Zelda Wardwell, the flake. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to protect people too. That's like what heroes do. I'm Nyelder playing Eric Ashran, the crooked. Let's just say I don't ask questions that involve textbooks. I ask questions that involve cash. I'm Laura McMillan, and I'm playing Tammy Jo Marpoint, your home town home finder. I'm here to make deals with the good people of Jupiter Hollow, but I already made a deal of my own. Tammy Joe is the monstrous. And I'm Mr. Ray. I play everything that tries to kill these people. And if you enjoyed our first season, you ain't seen nothing yet. New episodes every other Tuesday, wherever podcasts are found. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.